Action Fanatics, welcome to another Craig R. Baxley edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I am your host, Chris the Brain, and joining me, it is my co-host and my colleague, Chad Cruz. And Chad, do you come in peace today? I do. Co-host, colleague, best friend forever, you know, whatever wow. you want to call me. Yeah, well, I I think the two I, I, I mentioned were, were more accurate. Um, and joining us once again, our special guest and I know he's in a great mood. It's Ryan Campbell back on the Bulletproof Podcast. And Ryan, I know you're excited because the news has recently dropped about The Mandalorian Season 2. Yes, more than that. Uh, there was a cover of Entertainment uh, Weekly today had uh, two different covers, one with Mando and Baby Yoda, one with Baby Yoda, and then had some pictures on the inside and stuff. So getting there. Um, I got Rick rolled by a trailer yesterday on oh. Facebook. Um it started with really, it was really well done too. Like cinematic of the Sarlacc pit. And then you saw like Boba Fett's feet walking along the edge and then slave one flying away. And then it started with Rick roll. So it got me though. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they suckered you in and, and you fell for it because, well, you, you love it. And I, we're going to love that you're covering it each and every week. Uh, once it begins on October the 30th. So I, I have a feeling I can already predict but the Halloween post is going to be on bulletproofaction.com. Sounds good. Just just call me crazy that way. Um, and speaking of bulletproofaction.com, we always want you to check it out. There's something new each and every day on the site. And uh, one of the things I love about the site, Chad, and I, I think you can agree, is when we are able to present a movie that somebody may have missed, uh, we bring it to their attention. And that's exactly what we're doing here on this episode because we're going to be talking about i come in peace and ryan campbell has never seen this movie so we are helping one of our own this time out that's right and to be honest a lot of these kinds of movies uh i've not seen so that's not super rare <laughs> well give us some credit here ryan will you right we're trying to put ourselves yeah. over all right put, let me pat myself on the back a little bit hold on okay i'm, I'm done but yeah, I mean, and that, that that's happened many times, and and obviously some of our followers uh, on social media have also kind of brought some movies to our attention. So it's a, a great community that we're building here around BulletproofAction.com, and uh, I think we're going to see more of that going forward in the future. But right now, let's get to it. It's part two of our Craig R. Baxley retrospective, and we are again talking about I Come in Peace, aka Dark Angel. I I prefer I Come in Peace. I don't know what do you what do you say, Chad? Yeah, I think I come in peace. I don't know if it's because, you know, that's the the title that I grew up with. Right. That's the, that's the title I watched it under. And I only when I'm lazy, do I call it Dark Angel? Um, or if I know someone's never heard of it, I'm like, yeah, it's this Dolph Lundgren movie called Dark Angel. And they're like, isn't that the one with Jessica Alba? I'm like, ah, son of a bitch. I should have never said that. That's what I think of when I think of Dark Angel. So Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I come in peace is, um, I don't know if it's a better title or not, but um it's the title that I remember. I think it makes more sense. I mean, they say it in the movie yeah. constantly. So right. know, it, it, it makes sense. And I Come in Peace will be celebrating its 30th anniversary. It was released on September 28th, 1990. So we're just a few weeks ahead of, of the big anniversary. And uh, another action movie that decided to set itself at Christmas time. And we that becomes abundantly clear right from the get-go as we see this businessman in his luxury car, listening to some Christmas music on a CD, but the CD starts skipping. He starts screwing around with that, almost crashes, ends up in a Christmas tree lot. Um, 
So not a, a very Merry Christmas for this gentleman. But things get a lot worse because there's a, a projectile from the sky that crashes into his car, blows the thing up, and we see Talek, Matthias Hughes, come out of the crater. And instantly, as I just said, he hits the line, I come in peace. And what a spectacular entrance uh, for Talek. Oh, yeah. It's great. Um, it, there's questions there. Like, was he in a ship? Did the ship blow it up? And then did the ship, like, disintegrate? How did he survive? Does it matter? The answer is no. Um, he <laughs> he kind of climbs out of the wreckage of the car and crater, and there's, like, flame behind him and whatnot. And then he utters the line, I come in peace. Uh, no one ever talks about Dark Angel, so it works out better this way. Um, and then instantly murders the guy. So it's it's perfect. Ryan Campbell, did this grab your attention right from the get-go? It did very much. And as you were saying, I, I wasn't sure if he was, you know, is he an alien? Is he from the future? Who knows? And like you mentioned, the Christmas time thing, I have to wonder if that was just some sort of like lazy framing device that storyboard or writers use just to make it seem like something was going on. Like, yeah, and it's Christmas time. I sometimes wonder if it's a lighting thing, you know, like we're going to have some outdoor scenes. So let's make it Christmas time. We'll put Christmas lights everywhere. Just to make it look like something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or was it actually Christmas time when they filmed and it just was a coincidence? Could be. You know, and this was filmed in Houston. And I just actually watched uh, RoboCop 2 uh, with the director's commentary. And I have to wonder if this was part of it, too, because Houston at the time in the late 80s was like in an economic depression. So I think they were, you know, more than happy to let uh, movies get uh filmed in, in their, their fair city, because obviously that's revenue for the city, much needed revenue. Um, so it's kind of interesting um, that these movies probably were getting shot pretty uh, close to one another, uh, RoboCop 2 and I Come in Peace. Maybe they were also sharing the set with a, uh, a Hallmark movie. <laughs> maybe, it's maybe. very possible. Nowadays, yeah. Christmas movies like all over the place, man. Yeah, they got double those things. They shoot them in like a weekend, so they could just, you know. Yeah, I think they do all those in Canada, though. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. I, I would be curious, if, you know, if they film these film these movies in Houston because of the depression, they're getting tax breaks and whatnot. They're probably just allowing them to blow everything up, you know, so explosions everywhere. Like, ah, blow this shit up. That was one of the the points they made in, in the RoboCop two uh, commentary was. They, you know, they were going to go to Dallas where the first one was filmed, but they saw all these nighttime explosions that were going to be happening. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't need this here. And But Houston was like, yeah, we don't care. Blow whatever you want up. Just give us some money. So I love it. Could have been the case here. Um, so then we get into the opening credits. We see some chicanery going on at the police station and uh, some drugs, some heroin to be exact, is getting stolen out of evidence lockup. And something I had forgotten, but when I saw the credits, uh, music by Jan Hammer. Uh, of Miami Vice fame. So that was pretty cool. I, for, I forgot all about that. Yeah, the lesser known of the the Hammer brothers, I think, MC yeah. and Jan. Right. Uh, MC, I think, was a little, bit, a little more popular. I uh, thought maybe it was Hans Zimmer's like pseudonym. <laughs> Could have been. We, we may never know, actually, at this point. So, yeah, and again, does, if your attention was not grabbed by the alien from space crashing into a, a car. The fact that they blow up the police station is a, a another like, Hey, are you paying attention? Uh, this is an action movie. And is every scene ended with an explosion? 
Maybe we should have kept track. It definitely seemed that way. They literally had guns that did nothing but shoot explosions. <laughs> it's true. And cut. It doesn't even need to shoot anything flammable. It just shoots explosions. Okay, so once the opening credits are done, we we meet our hero, uh, Detective Jack Kane, which is a, a pretty awesome name, I would think. A tough name, Jack Kane. Uh, Dolph Lundgren. And this, I think, is Dolph Lundgren's first uh, chance to play a, an American. Which um, he did a really good job. I remember, like, even very in the, early in the beginning, I think the dark hair, too, having to be like, that is Dolph, right? Because he's doing a very good uh, English accent. Right. You you would not know that he's not an American, uh, you know, natural born American. And it's funny because, you know, when they did Masters of the Universe, they were worried about his accent. And even then, I don't think he was bad. But here especially, I mean, not he's he's not playing against his type. Like, he, he's a cop. Like, he is what he is. But his accent is good. He sounds good. He doesn't sound like he's a Swede or whatever trying to be American. And he, I don't remember a lot of guys talking about how jacked he was. Like, did I miss that? No, he didn't really show it off in this film, which was, it was somewhat interesting. I mean, That's was, surprising, right? There wasn't even like a, yeah, you, there wasn't even a shirtless scene in this, was it? There, there was one, it? one brief towards the end where he he switches, but yeah, that was it. It was. Brain remembers it. Trust me. I just <laughs> well, I do because I just saw the movie about two hours ago. All right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, because I, you know, and that's one of the things we talked about with uh, in our, our last episode about Action Jackson. It was how it seemed like they were trying to make Carl Weathers, you know, a Stallone, Arnold type. So yeah, the shirt was right. popped off there. But you know, they kind of veered away from that here in 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 this one because yeah, they kept Dolph pretty covered up. Um, so Dolph is kind of doing surveillance. His partner has gone undercover um, and they're trying to bust Victor Manning, who's a, a kind of mobster drug dealer type. Um, and, and the uh, partner there has quite a interesting line. I think Chad, did you uh, try to get into this university? Was this like your second choice if the Ohio state didn't work out? Yeah, I applied to it and uh, you know, I wrote my pay. What is that? That um, the application, like the, the paper that you write for it and whatnot. Um, it just, I just wasn't a good fit for it. Apparently they said I, I didn't fulfill the requirements, whatever that means. All right. Well, um, so I, didn't yeah. have the I didn't have the necessary tools. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. I was hoping for something in, along those lines. Um, so, you know, Jack's in there listening in on, on his, uh, his partner, but then uh, as luck would have it, a robbery is, is taking place nearby, or at least an attempted one. So Jack leaves his car, goes in to handle that. Meanwhile, his partner, Ray, ends up dead uh, because they figure out, hey, you're a cop. And uh, things, things get even stranger because then our alien shows up after the bad guys, at least our main bad guy, leaves. And he ends up killing some of those guys with his killer CD. And, and what an amazing and awesome unique weapon ryan campbell it certainly was um to the point where i had to be like i mean cds were a thing right didn't everybody else just think like that's just a cd <laughs> <laughs> yeah they had come out at that point yes they definitely had um and yeah i don't know were they trying to tank it was it you think it was like the vhs <laughs> maybe there was some lobby the vhs lobby being like these things are deadly you can't know you just keep watching uh, these great videotapes from uh 
sharp. We're lucky that Betamax wasn't behind the film and they were just chucking VHS tapes all over the place. So yeah, we get our we we see exactly what kind of damage Talek could do. Um, Jack shows up then after because he's like he sees all this commotion after he's done with the uh, robbery situation and uh, finds his partner dead, finds his mobsters dead, and you know the cops obviously come in. His boss is there, and we get the classic, "Okay, buddy, you got to go on vacation" situation, which is just a uh, you know typical. Yeah, it's always like the the boss man comes in and he's like, oh, you, I know your partner and best friend just died, but you're going on vacation, unpaid leave, or you know, take they a turn, break. yeah, take a break. You've had enough. Like this is you're not on the case anymore. It it really doesn't make sense, and it wouldn't fly today. I mean, I don't 1990. It maybe it, maybe it worked, but uh, like not only did his partner just get killed, he kind of creeped in right after it happened. There's some crazy shenanigans going on with how these people just died. But he also just stopped like a really violent robbery. So, <laughs> yes. Did we forget say, like, an overly aggressive robbery? Like that, that was aggressive. a very aggressive robbery. Dude, every every robbery in the early nineties and in, in, in films is like shotgun to the face of a twelve year old or all blasted. I was missing was some of this ripping the woman's shirt off. That was about the only thing we were missing. And I I did miss that actually. I was hoping that would happen, but. Um, yeah, like these robberies in movies were so bad in the early 90s, and he stopped it from happening. So nobody even gives him a pat on the back or a thank you, or like, thanks for doing that. He also doesn't seem terribly concerned about his partner dying. Like, yeah. He, he kind of gets over it, it seems like. He does. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of stuff going on. We weren't really that tight. It's a busy day. <laughs> he, he was more concerned, I think, that, that Victor Manning got away. And I think that, that yeah. was, you know, like they were there to, to take care of business and uh, the business didn't get taken care of. So that and, probably, yeah, seemed to bother him more than the death of his partner. Which is weird because Victor Manning doesn't play a big role in the rest of the film. No, we only see him in photograph form after, yeah. after this. So. Yeah, enjoying his summer, enjoying uh, his uh, Christmas in uh, Rio. Rio, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like so he he kind of places all the blame on Victor Manning, and he's like, "I'm going after his ass." And then it's like, "Oh, something else happens," and he just gets diverted. His attention gets diverted like a dog. I've got this new FBI sidekick here. I get to foil with. Right. And yeah, so you, you bring up the FBI and, and the decision that uh, <clears throat> Kane's boss made is immediately overturned, almost immediate. Uh, Inspector Switzer of the FBI uh, wants to talk to Jack because, yeah, there is something else, something uh, bigger than than just, uh, you know, his partner dying going on there. And uh, Jack, you know, has a theory, as he w- we will see throughout the movie. He has several theories and they always seem to be uh, spot on. Um Jack doesn't believe an ordinary weapon was used to kill uh, Victor Manning's men. And so Switzer's like, hmm, I, you know, I, I like what, the way you're thinking here. You're on the case. So basically the uh, captain, uh, Jack Kane's captain, is completely useless in this situation. Yeah, he doesn't get much say in anything. Yeah. Uh, they, they tell him to basically go home, take take a break, get your mind straight. But uh, that guy rolls in and makes their decision. And voila, Jack Kane is back on the case. Ron, you mentioned uh, Kane getting his partner, Special Agent Smith. Um, Smith and Jack do not get along right from the get-go. 
Yeah, I always enjoy how in, in, in 80s movies, the cop who, you know, wants to do things correct and by the book um, is always depicted as a uh, stuffy stiff. <laughs> Nerd. How dare you want to, you know, properly do things. Right. Following procedure. What? I have to imagine a lot of Jack's, uh, the people he arrests end up getting off because of things like Miranda rights and chain of custody of evidence and some of these things. That's very possible, but it was the '80s. So, um, although he probably didn't bring pe- a lot of people in alive, it looks like so. Maybe that's that was also part of it. That's true. Well, that saves you know taxpayer money. We don't have to go through trials and whatnot. That's right. And house these people, and yeah. So yeah, so Smith is basically on Jack for everything. Um, you know, Di- his relationship with Diane, the uh, the medical examiner, uh, his wardrobe, the, his police work. I mean, relying on instincts all the time instead of you know following the the rules and regulations of how to investigate a case. So yeah, the, he's just on his case instantly, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a classic uh, movie trope, uh, you know, in these situations. But you know, I think. Uh, you know, and I think Brian Ben Ben did a great job in that role. He's very believable as that stuffy uh, guy who who would be by the book, and Dolph is perfect as you know. I do my own thing, cop. So, right. You know, I think that Dolph should have punched him in the face earlier. Uh, but he, so Brian Ben Ben, he's got or Smith. He he talks smack about him dating Diane. Okay, failed relationship. I get it. His wardrobe, eh? It was still pretty cool. Um, his police work though. He's like, you follow your instincts. I just react to things. And it kind of got your partner killed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It did. But he reacted to a violent robbery happening. Yeah. But at the same time, they probably had had that sting set up for months and you that's know, true, which he, they probably should have had more people there is, is uh yeah, I would think a, a sting like that would probably have some other people like around the block ready for back to be. If that was point break, they'd have like 12 guys there. Good point. Uh, we also now get to meet our good alien because we have a bad alien. We also have a good alien. And I know this is a, a man near and dear to your heart, Chad Cruz. Indeed. I've been a, a Duke basketball fan for as long as I can remember. And uh, watching Jay Billis and his giant forehead on screen as a kid, uh, I popped. You know what I mean? I marked out pretty hard as a kid seeing that. I don't know how it happened. Now, I still don't understand it. I mean, I, Jay Billis is on ESPN like every single day talking about that. He's literally the most like prestigious, like one of the highest esteemed um, pundits they have. Yeah, it makes <laughs> yeah. no sense. I didn't even realize that was him until I read the rundown for the show, and I was like, "Holy crap!" And then you have to go back and like click go to IMDb. Like, this can't be right. Like, this, <laughs> that's a different. It must be Jay Billis. Um, but no, it's the same Jay Billis. Uh, and I don't understand it, but, you know, thank goodness it happened. And He was trying things, you know? Yeah, he was testing the waters a bit. He did an okay job. Yeah, he played Azek. Again, he's the good alien. And uh, right after he arrives, we get to see Talek kill a guy. Um, and he does so in an interesting fashion. You know, he's basically, I don't know how you would even, like, wires that come out of him and, and just extract tubes. Tubes and, yeah, just... A, a real, uh, you know, a real sci-fi villain, which again is one of the other reasons we we chose Mr. Ryan Campbell for this because you know that's right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, and I enjoyed how he did that that same kill like three or four times, and each time was like 
shot for shot the exact same thing. It was even like yeah. each time gave us a little bit more about what he was doing. It was almost shot for shot the exact same thing. They were getting it over. It, like, it's yeah. like he, yeah. he was having squash matches and getting yeah, his finisher, finisher over. Yeah. And so you knew later, you know, it was very, you know, Craig Arbaxley, you're a genius. Yeah, we were waiting by the time that him and Dolph were squaring off. You're waiting for him to sh- shoot the little scorpion. Uh, get over here. Get over here. You're waiting for him to shoot that out of his wrist. And then, like, what's Dolph going to do kind of thing? Um, so, yeah, I think it works. Um, it's it's weird to watch it. Like you're saying, like, you're, it's like, oh, another death scene that looks just the same as the last two. But uh, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, so we've gotten some, you know, violence for sure, some explosions. So we're rated R. We may as well make our obligatory trip to the strip club at this point. And, uh, you know, because Jack is still – looking for Manning and seeing what's going on because Manning's gone. The drugs work that were part of this uh, sting are gone. Um, so Jack finds his informant named Boner. Uh, Michael J. Pollard is who played that and uh, recognize him uh, most recently from Tango and Cash, which I revisited. Um, and he's also in Scrooged. He plays the, the bum who's dead in the sewer. So he's, you know, basically gets, gets there and Boner has a, a good line, an, an ironic line saying the Martians have the drugs. Um, little did he know. The only time he actually informed correctly, probably. Yeah. What a terrible informant. Um, other than his name being Boner and him hiding out in a strip club. I'm not really sure what this had to offer as a scene and showing, you know, giving us, they gave us a couple, uh, give us my candy, of course. Right. But. Uh, which is appreciated, but it's like uh, there there are so many scenes in this film that I that could have been cut. Oh yeah, there, there's one coming up later that I'll, yeah. I'll discuss. But uh, it's not like one. But yeah, ahead. and and on that, it's crazy that the runtime is is 90 minutes, and we're here like stuff could have been cut. <laughs> yeah, it, it it almost felt like it would have fit for like a monster of the week sci-fi you know 42 minute episode of a show yeah and you're right i i think it it plays out similar similarly to predator in the way that it it introduces a villain who has really no personality other than him killing people uh and the way he moves and and act and reacts and stuff so you have to kind of give scenes give a minute here, give a minute there of, of this killer, like in his own element, like he's cleaning his weapons. He's like, he's handling his little drugs and stuff. Like he's doing things to prepare for the murder he's about to commit. Like you almost need to do that because Matthias Hughes, God love him. Other than grunting and screaming at people and saying, I come in peace several times. (laughs) He doesn't really do much in his film and he could have done a lot more. And I feel like the villain is kind of lost in the movie a little bit. Yeah. I think that's what I was kind of getting at with the repeated scenes of the killings was, yeah, you know, you could almost give us just a little bit extra of the exposition about why he's doing this, what he's trying to obtain each and every time. And so they did the exact same shot. And then later in the movie, Jay Billis's character just spews exposition and like fills us all in on what he's doing. Right. Like you could have made those earlier scenes mean a little more. And then you didn't need the exposition dump. He could have had a calculator and like <laughs> crunching the numbers, you know, he pulls up like um, <laughs> eBay for uh, endorphins, endorphins. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going for these days? Got market watch on in the background. I'm like, Oh yeah. my gosh, I'm getting killed here. 
I just down with the picture in a, on his planet. They have like a mad money type show of talking yeah. about endorphin values. <laughs> well, they do try to make sense out of being in this strip club and, and Boner playing a pool because Jack has a one of his theories come into play here. And uh, he, he basically has the cue ball theory about how these guys were killed with with this unknown weapon at the time. So he kind of you know walks it out with with uh, Smith there and they find this murder weapon, this killer CD. It's embedded in a speaker um, due to the, the magnetic attraction. Um, so, yeah, very, uh, very. That's excellent. Please work by Jack Kane. And, and they wanted to put him on vacation. Yeah, and you know, investigative is the key word there because uh, old uh, uh, Dickless Smith there, like he doesn't investigate anything. He just waits for things to happen and then reads the manual as to what to do next. Take that, Dickless. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Why are we just r- ripping on this poor Larry? What a nerd! He's already going to walk around next to Dolph Lundgren. That's, That's true. Chad's being a bully. Uh, so here, here we go, Ryan Campbell. We see Taylor kill another guy. This one, but this one has a little bit something to it because Azek finds him and we get some great parking garage mayhem because parking garages, again, are always a place where actions happens. And you see uh, uh, Talek running across the car hoods. There's explosions behind him, and but he still manages to get away. But a nice little uh, boost in the action uh right there just to kind of make sure we know that these two are not on the same page, I guess. Yeah. Again, uh, one of the three or four times that we just see them chase each other and blow stuff up and then get away. (laughs) It's about the same thing three or four times as good, as nice as it is to see things blow up. Um, Right, and that was probably the best one, though, right? That first I think time, so. that was they got it right. You know, it's like, oh, okay, this is cool. And then, yeah, like you said, it gets a little repetitive. The coolness of someone running across car hoods, like that looked cool still today. Right. Um, and then he like just jumps out of the parking garage, and they look down over the edge, and it's like three stories. <laughs> He's gone. So he must have like stung his heels so bad. Well, I mean, he just fell from space somehow, too. So, I mean, a, a three-story, a three-story fall—that's nothing. That's that's, nothing. That, that's, that's child's true. play. That's true. So, uh, they get the CD, um, and Jack wants to uh, take it to his friend at the university. Of course, old Smith is like, "Oh no, we've got to turn this in." But Jack's like, "No, we don't have to do that. We're gonna we're gonna take it there." They stop the guy. Yeah, I know a guy. They stop uh, at Jack's swanky apartment. He's got wine. He's got art on the walls nicely. Probably not what you would expect from, I guess, the way he dresses. And I think that's what they were kind of going for. It was nice. It's no apartment from Ninja 3, but it's it's a good apartment. <laughs> De- definitely is not. But, you know, a, you know, a policeman and a, and a or detective and a telephone utility worker, they make different kind of money, I suppose. Um, so anyway... Smith is like, okay, he has a little bit of wine. I'll pick you up in the morning. We'll, we'll continue our, our work here. But Jack, he just he's just getting started for the night. He goes over to Diane's house for a little makeup sex. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, nothing gratuitous here, though, which, you know, probably why we didn't have RTG on the show. Because- no, it's unfortunate because he – Jack looks over at the – I think he looks at a picture of him of himself and Diane. 
And right. he starts, he, he reminisces briefly. Oh yeah, that was some good shit. So then he <laughs> decides to get his car and head over there. And she puts up about a four second fight. She slaps him around a couple of times and then she just gives in to the manliness, you know, she wants to go on vacation. She wants, she wants to go on vacation and quit her job and change her entire life for him. So it's clear that she will take him back instantly. And when uh, the next morning, then uh, Jack returns home and finds his place trashed. Uh, but fortunately he did not have the, the CD there. So all is well in, in that respect. Um, and you got to wonder, I think later on we find out that Smith probably did know exactly what happened there, but he acted, you know, he played dumb like, Oh, when I got here, it was like this. So then we go, here we go. This is my, this was a good one. Now we have him. We've seen Talek kill a couple guys, but now he kills a woman. So see, they changed it up, Ryan. Uh, he kills a woman draining her brain and that this is good. And, and we talked about this as well in action Jackson, where we had the, uh, fire, in the uh, where the, how do you like your ribs fire and then oh, it yeah. cut right to the fire at the party at uh, Delaplane's house similar shot so this has got to be like a backsleeve thing where we see the the liquid going into the uh, tube for Talek and then we see the coffee little coffee setup that uh, old jittery Bruce the scientist has in his lab and here Ryan Campbell we learn exactly a little bit more about what this CD is. Yeah, definitely. And I like getting into the nuts and bolts of how things work in sci-fi. I think it's easy to just kind of be like space. So it was a nice little bit (laughs) of space stuff. Yeah, a nice little bit. And, you know, the eccentric scientist who, when he actually gets in his element, is is actually pretty smart. I I like that that, uh, angle as well. Okay, and this is where we then get, uh, they go back to the police station and Victor Manning has sent our, our hero, Jack, some mail from Rio. And this is what we talked about earlier. Just kind of a picture of him when like saying, Hey, my boy Warren's going to be looking for you. And it's just Victor Manning with two topless women and uh, having a good time, enjoying the holiday season while Jack's working when he was supposed to also be on vacation. So kind of a, really the only point, the only time we see Victor, like, was he only available for, for that one scene? I don't, I don't know. He, he also never gets his as far as we know. No, no. And, and I mean, that's a pretty cool move though, to send a picture like that to somebody. Have you ever done something like that, Chad? No, but I'd love to have a picture like that as like a, a profile, like a Twitter profile pic or something. <laughs> okay. I don't well, know if that would be, would Twitter might a flag on that I'll, I'll blur out the nips there you go <laughs> yours or theirs okay um <laughs> so we get that and he's like okay my boy warren's gonna be looking for you and sure enough about 13 seconds later uh who the hell's warren though that's like my boy warren's gonna be looking for you we didn't hear about warren no he just like he had to fill in because victor wasn't available and i, I know, I don't know. Like, who the hell's warren who cares like so Jack and Smith, they're in the car. Oh, we're getting followed, and we get we get a little car chase action there, which is always welcome uh, in an action film with the red Corvette. Always like another good staple. And so now we get to meet Warren, who is apparently some sort of I don't know captain or something of of Victor Manning's criminal empire because he's like leading this meeting. J- Jack goes right in there and and and. You know, he's going to lay down the law. He's, 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 he's not scared. He goes right in there. 
but meanwhile, while he's upstairs with uh, Warren and the uh, board of directors, some of the goons get Larry, and uh, they're going to kill him unless old Jack makes a drop for them. And who does he have to go do business with, Chad Cruz, but one of the most familiar faces in all of action entertainment? Yeah, I feel like Al Leong, he needs to be on our podcast at some point. Uh, we talk about him in almost every single episode. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I say his name more than I say like members of my family's name. It's, it's very odd. I don't know the man personally. I feel like I do because I've seen him so much. But um, yeah, he just kind of appears randomly like in movies, and it it rarely makes sense. You're like, oh, there's a, who is, is that? Ali Ong standing behind that guy? Yeah. Oh well, and then he just disappears from the rest of the film. It's like he just uh, enjoyed the community and would just show up on set to see what was going on. He'd be like, you want to yeah. hop in? He'd be like, yeah, yeah. sure. You know, and I have seen movies like that in my time. There, like there was one with Matthias Hughes, actually, and, and yeah, it didn't look like he was in any kind of wardrobe or anything. It looked like he just rolled in with his Zubaz on and some sneakers, and was like, and "They're like, hey, want a fight scene? Sure, why not? I'm here." Uh, so I, I do believe that does happen. But yeah, Ali Yong, and this was kind of a rare where he had some lines, a little bit of lines, yeah, and uh, and uh, but yeah, he he pulls he he pulls some some shit, and he just like. No, you're not going to get this. I'm not going to do business with you. I'm going to take it all. You could tell those stupid white guys, you know, go F themselves, basically. He ducks out in the back alley. Jack follows him. And this is where Jack gets his first look at uh, our two aliens. Finally. and I don't know. This is probably at least over 45 minutes into the movie, right? Close to an hour, maybe, pushing it. And he finally encounters the aliens. Yeah, well, you know, he had to do his due diligence as a, as a policeman. That's right. And uh, so obviously there's some commotion. Larry does manage to use this distraction to, to get free. He comes running over to Jack's, you know, help to help him. And he's like, you know, what, what the hell just happened here? And I don't think Jack is quite ready, but then he is, he's ready to tell him what he believes he saw and how he would know this. Don't ask me, but Jack has an alien theory and these are not aliens from Mexico. As he points out, these are outer space aliens and again, how he figures this out. I mean, this guy has got the best instincts of any cop in any movie I think I've ever seen. He's like the guy, right? You know, you're 16 and you're sneaking out at night and you come into the door and the parent is like, sneaking out, huh? You're like, oh, shit, I got caught. <laughs> Smoking cigarettes. And you're like, how did they know that? Do you have any beer? And it's like the it's like the person who just like links all these things together, and then if you're right a certain percentage of the time, you seem like a genius. Like do do we, we don't see all the times that Jack's wrong, right? That's true. That's true. We see the two times he's right, um, but I would I'm contending that Jack is probably wrong like eighty five percent of the time, and we just haven't seen him yet. That's probably why Diane kicked him out. He was wrong to go stop that robbery. That's true. Because, uh, yeah, he and he likes – maybe he's like a long-shot gambler too. You know, he like he goes for like the most outrageous of things. Like he's going – Oh, yeah. He's like a conspiracy dude. Like he doesn't – he doesn't play around with like, uh, I don't know, realism at all. He's just like, <laughs> okay, I got it. Dude's an alien. 
he had to have come on like a meteor or a spaceship or some shit. And when it entered the atmosphere, it just exploded and disintegrated. Like, what? Where are you getting this? Lack of evidence? Yes, that's exactly where I'm getting it. Oh, okay. So then we get to see Talek kill even more guys in the grocery store. Uh, and once again, we get some alien on versus alien uh, action. And um, so now the, they're like, okay, we've got more dead people at the grocery store. So all basically all our principal characters are there. We've got uh, Diane is there, uh, Jack Smith, uh, Switzer, Jack's boss. They're all there. And we see actually uh, Jack's boss and Switzer talking and, and next thing you know, he comes up to Jack and's like, all right, it's out of our hands. Case You're is done. closed. You're done again. So we're right back to where we started. Jack doesn't even put up a fight. He's like, okay. He goes to Diane. He's like, all right, you want to take that vacation? It's time, baby. Let's do this thing. And uh, she's like, I got to work. But then, again, <laughs> like you said, two seconds later, she's quitting her job. She's not even like asking for, like, I'm sure you have some time off, lady. You don't have to go to <laughs> use. Use your vacation, right? Right. You got some PTO. Why don't you use it? You've earned it. But no, she's like, screw it. I'm done. Yeah, it's weird because they, like you said, they give him a, like, all right, the the case is closed. We're moving on. Someone else's problem. Who? <laughs> it's not the police. It's not the FBI. Like, the men in black. What are we talking about here? Like, oh, that's nice where story. else is this going? Yeah, and he just gave up on his grudge he had with Victor. I was like, oh, you know what? Or maybe that's where he was going to go on vacation. Maybe. Here we go. Yeah, Here's maybe. another Chad Cruz sequel to write. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, he yep. goes on vacation. He thinks, oh, yeah, honey, we're just going to go to Rio. We're going to enjoy ourselves. But he's really there for business. And yeah. we get to see Victor get his comeuppance because, as Ryan pointed out, we never get to see that here. But guess what? In a Chad Cruz sequel in Dark Angel 2, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, because Dark Angel wasn't the uh, Talek, it was actually Jack Kane was the Dark Angel oh. all along. That's right. So in Dark Angel 2 uh, from Chad Cruz, he goes to Rio, searches for Victor Manning, gets into a bunch of shit, and then ends up finding Victor Manning in a completely different place, a little place called Valverde. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yep. Bucket. Coming to Netflix. <laughs> Coming to Tubi. <laughs> a Tubi exclusive. Or Quibi. Maybe a Quibi exclusive. It's in 10, it's in ten minute increments. There we go. So, so you're like, okay, Diane, go, go home, get packed, get yourself together. We're doing this thing. He goes to his car, and who's in the back seat? But Azek. And how did Azek know that was his car? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Alien <laughs> stuff. That's right. So he's there. Uh, he doesn't have long for this world, uh, but he long enough to explain about the endorphins and how what's going on and how he's an officer of the law from where he comes from and how if they don't stop Talek, there's going to be more of these guys coming. And it's, it's you know game over for basically humanity, I would imagine, if these guys are just – I mean, look how many kills this guy's gotten just like a day. So Let's imagine this gold rush for endorphins at Earth. Right. So there we go. And and now here's the one scene that I think was completely pointless to this movie. Yeah. I mean, I understand it to some degree, but no, I don't. But because Larry goes to his boss, he's like, okay, I got to tell him what we know now. And the boss is, we find out is just, I guess, pure evil. Um, and just, 
he, he just like, no, uh, we're, you're done. You're off the thing. And we're going to make sure Jack doesn't have anything to do with this either. Basically insinuating they're just going to kill him. So, but why, why, why was this here? So let me uh, devil's advocate for it to this point, even though the two have started to somewhat get along in ways, we've yet to have that moment that really bonds them together. And I think there had to be a point where Larry saw that the system failed him to truly kind of join Jack's way of thinking. And I think that's kind of what this scene was trying to do. hundred percent. Did I sell you on a brain? He needed, he needed to learn the hard way because he's a guy that's always done things by the book. He's by the book, Bobby. And, uh, you know, the only way you're going to change someone like that is, you know, to slap them across the face with, with something that will force them to change. And that's what happens. I suppose I, I, it just, to me, it just seemed like overkill. Like they could have done it without like this guy was pure evil and was going to kill me. Um, and you know, this, it was, it seemed like an unnecessary heel heel turn, bro. Like a swerve for a swerve's sake, bro. That part I could see. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could have done it a different way, but I think there had to be a, a moment where Jack and Larry really kind of like, okay, we got each other's back now. We're in this together for what was going to come. So when I get, I think if they just would have like, Hey guys, we're just shutting this thing down. This is done. You guys are done with, with you know, and, and Larry just had that moment. Like, no way we've made it this far. How are you going to pull it away from me? Like he actually shows some heart and gets into it. I think they could have done with that, but I would have had a scene right before he met Switzer where he's on the phone with Jack and he's like, Jack, I'm doing this. I have to, I have to let him know what we know. And then Jack's like, what do your instincts tell you? And he says, my, my instincts, and he's like, that's right. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't meet him. He, and he hangs up on him. Like he's a little bit of questioning the situation before he goes in. And then he realizes not only does he realize that shit's messed up and it's going to go wrong, but it gives Jack, uh, like, this is what's about to happen. So I need to go help him. Well, one thing we glossed over was the fact that after Azek explains all the stuff that's happening to him or, you know, what's happening with, with Italic and what he's there for and, and blah, blah, blah. He basically just disintegrates. He just <laughs> spontaneous, spontaneous, <laughs> yeah, spontaneous combustion. He's just gone. And he, and he doesn't even give him a heads up. Like, hey, guys, so and you need to get out of this car right now. I, I think they, they probably should have known something when he had that white ooze coming out of him. That, that was probably an indicator that something was wrong with this guy. What they should have done is uh, they could have had like another act in this in this film. And it was like Pulp Fiction to, you know, when they're like the, the Bonnie situation and Pulp Fiction where they're trying to get rid of the car with the dead body and that stuff. They could have had like 25 minute scene of Dolph Lundgren and Brian Ben Ben trying to dispose of this body in the back of their car. Or, or they somehow weekends at Bernie's it or something. Oh, like there we go. <laughs> that, yes. I, I like Weekend that. I like that. <laughs> hey, Isaac. he's got a spaceship and shit. Well, Azek is dead, but his space gun survived. So Larry gets this space gun now, and they're ready. They are ready to go one-on-one, or two-on-one in this case, with uh, Talek. And, uh, but before they could get there, the, the uh, Warren's guys or, or Manning's guys show up and kind of put a little monkey wrench in things. Um, but they get incinerated by our good friend Talek, and 
the cops show up because of all this nonsense going on, which is probably good. Again, the only one, only one cop shows up. There's like a firefight on the street. Things are blown. Just, just send one guy. Just send a Jack he'll, or not Jack. We already have a Jack. Send a Bob. Um, he'll he'll take care of it. So anyway, what we get though is a, a little car, a, a little bit better car chase than we had earlier because uh, now Diane's pulled into it because she showed up. She was ready to uh, you know go on vacation. She gets pulled into this thing. And Talek gets he jumps in the police cruiser, and we get we get ourselves a car chase. I feel like maybe not so much here, but when they move on to foot, at any point Diane could have just went another way. Like, yeah, it's not like you know just dipped off. Yeah, Talek wasn't like you know have a hard on for her or anything to get her, and she wasn't going to bring anything to the table. I feel like when they went left, she could have just been like, "I'll go over to this coffee house and I'll see you guys after it's all over." It must have just been her her love for for Jack. Perhaps. She's invested. She, she didn't want to leave his side. She had stopped and picked up like a Tommy Bahama shirt for him, and <laughs> I guarantee she had it in her bag. She was going to surprise him with it, like, "Hey, I, I brought this for you for the trip." Or maybe she was invested because she knows if we kill this guy, I get to go on my vacation. She did want to go on that vacation really yeah. bad, and she has no job, so she's like got nothing better to do but getting to car chases and stuff right if i die i die i guess um so of course we get a good old-fashioned they find some sort of industrial location an abandoned industrial location for our, our final showdown um so they everything have an idea. Is, everything is potentially explosive by the way right and, and you know this kind of they you know made sense because you know obviously this space gun could do a lot of damage so if you're shooting it you know in the middle of downtown houston you can have some collateral damage, but it's some abandoned factory of some sort. Who cares? Um, but- I did enjoy, though, that the plan is to lure him out in the open, and he literally had him running in a straight line down the street right at him. <laughs> <laughs> that was not in the open, I suppose. They needed to get into a, a much you know, a tighter area. Again, the collateral damage. They were worried. I think. He just shot the car and exploded that, so what worried you shot there? I don't know. Um <laughs> We might be overthinking. Um, yeah, so book the location, they're going to shoot it. Right. The space. Yeah. Houston's like, oh, yeah, we got all kinds of abandoned places. <laughs> Go blow it up. We're Houston. <laughs> we don't care. Um, so the, the space gun, though, it does like it, it loses its charge. It must have, you know, there's no bullets, which I know is good for Chad, because if his gun had unlimited bullets, Chad Cruz would have turned the movie off a long time ago. I'd have been pissed. Uh, I know you would have been. Uh, so, it, but it has to recharge whatever alien technology it uses. Um, Batteries, brain. When, when that doesn't work, fuel cells, perhaps. Um, when that doesn't work, you know, we get we get our we finally get kind of our one on one, Jack versus Talek and uh, Chad Cruz. Take it away. I know you just you just watched this <laughs> fifteen minutes before we started recording. I did. I I, I admitted to this. Uh, I rewatched the film a couple days ago and I was like, man, I kind of like zoned out at some point and forgot how it ended. So I had to go back and rewatch the ending, you know, an hour ago. Um, But yeah, it it kind of fizzles a bit for me. This is just me speaking personally, Jack and Talek finally get that showdown and neither man has really been built up enough for me to really be excited about it. Jack is just a cop at this point. He's not a big buff cop, but big a big buff cop who's got like tons of martial arts experience. Um, we've seen Jack roundhouse kick people, and 
do some cool stuff, but I don't know. Instead of showing his apartment with artwork and wine, maybe you show his apartment with like some freaking samurai swords and like, oh, he's into some shit. Uh, that way, when you have the final showdown, now he can break it out. But instead, we get Jack wrestling around with a fucking electrical cord. <laughs> For a, a really long time. Super that long, long time. When he has the vials and he's like luring him, that is a really long time too. It's like so they, dumb. They go it's back like, and forth between his shot of his hand and the guy's eyes at least six times. And he sets it on this thing and it's like, oh, there's a pipe there. A random pipe. I'm going to use this pipe later. Yeah, subtlety was not, was not used, really used no. at all in that, that scene. The only pipe that's... Never mind. But they... Uh, yeah, he starts fighting him and dude shoots his little scorpion tube at him and he wrestles it for like 12 minutes straight. Uh, I don't know. I feel like they just didn't film enough for this movie. It must have been a fun day on set, though. Oh, just, my God. Rolling around on that like board for like <laughs> six hours. It almost killed the movie for me, to be honest. Yeah, well, at least they, they end on a high note because we get we get the line. Um, you know, we've, we've heard Talek say it numerous times, I come in peace. Yeah. And then... Then Jack Kane has the perfect retort to that. That did bring it all back. And you go in pieces, asshole. Beautiful. Beautiful work by Dolph. It explodes. Beautiful work there by Dolph. Um, I remember, uh, with the exception of the asshole part, that being in the, on the commercial. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. You know, this is a cool commercial, which was yeah, not – was not uh, you know, I do want. To, I don't know if we brought this up before on one of the uh, other podcasts, but uh, in Matthias Hughes's book, he tells this bullshit story about how the commercial <laughs> for "I Come in Peace" was on during the Super Bowl. <laughs> now, wh- I don't think they're showing Super Bowl co- commercials or, or movies. For you know, this movie didn't come out to September. The Super Bowl was, what, you know, January probably back then, maybe yeah. February. I think it was more January back in the eighties. Um, so no, they're not promoting a movie that comes out in September. Maybe a summer blockbuster movie, but not some low budget action movie is not getting time on the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. How dare you, brain? I, I just I, when I read that, I'm like, okay, this guy is <laughs> no, he's 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 you know, and again it. Decades and decades later, you know, maybe he was at a Super Bowl party and somebody's like, oh, I saw you in that movie. And, you know, he's just mixing yeah. all this stuff together. Or he right? had a tape of the trailer and just decided to play it. For yeah. <laughs> when you're when you're tube sucking endorphins out of people, you forget yeah. things like this. Right. And he probably had his tube sucked a lot, you know, by Brigitte Nielsen and whatnot. So <laughs> a lot has happened in his world. And in his life. Uh, so. You know, he could have lost some some uh, brain cells along the way as well. Um, but I, we love you, Matthias, nonetheless, even though some of your stories seem to be bullshit. Um, but yeah, there you go. I come in peace. Uh, probably not the strongest uh, entry in the Baxley no. 3, but, but certainly an interesting one. Yeah, final thought, quick. You forgot the last part where the Diane's like, oh, about damn time, let's go on vacation. And Jack says... I'm thinking about Rio. There you go, which sets up the Chad Cruz sequel. Absolutely. Ryan Campbell, any final thoughts for uh, us on I Come in Peace? 
your first time watching it. it enjoyable film. Um, again, it it felt like probably like a episode of a TV show. Like it could have that you could easily fit that into a forty two minute runtime of a TV show. But um, some redundant scenes, but all in all, you know, it was a good a good action sci fi flick and some impressive work from Dolph in regards, like I said, to his uh, playing an American, showing that he can do that. That's a big step in, in an action career, showing that you can play that role. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a, a pivotal movie for Dolph, uh, just again, to kind of get him away from, he's not a Russian. He's not just a muscle He-Man guy. They, and and that probably is why they kind of kept him covered up and just, you know, like, yeah, I want to be, yeah. I want to be more, I want to be, you know, a, a more well-rounded actor um, and, and try this. And, and yeah, he was a sophisticated kind of guy, but you know, he was, it's kind of a, he had some depth to him. Unlike Diane, who just wanted to go on vacation. She had zero depth whatsoever. She um, wanted to get banged. Uh, yes. On vacation. You know, that too. Yeah. Vacation banging is different than local banging. So <laughs> that is true. Uh, uh, so, so there, there you go. And I think with that line, we we're just about done talking about I come in peace. But do want to remind everybody about our social media. We encourage you to follow us on social media. Uh, send us suggestions. Send us uh, thoughts on, on the podcast, on our reviews. You can get us at Bulletproof Action on Instagram and at Bulletproof Action on Facebook. And of course, on Twitter, we are at Bulletproof Pod. And speaking of Twitter, Chad Cruz, yes. coming up in October, we are going to be discussing Mr. Jean Claude Van Damme and one of his classic films. And we're actually going to let our Twitter followers decide which of the classics we're going to, which one of the classics we will talk about. Um, so I want to just encourage everybody to stay tuned to our Twitter again at Bulletproof Pod because we will be putting a poll up there here soon uh so we have some time to to tabulate and then uh coordinate our our schedule so we can record our jean-claude van damme episode and it's going to be for his 60th birthday because it's going to be the best van damme week ever uh in october it's going to be so good and when you turn 60 brain when, when you turn 60 you know was it a big deal to you or I have not gotten there yet, Chad, but oh, okay. I know I know I'm a lot closer than the rest of you, but that's fine. Um, that's why I'm the one with wisdom on the team, and the rest of you, I don't know what the hell you're doing half the time. Um, <laughs> but I do know what we're doing next time right here on the Bulletproof Podcast, and we are going to be talking about Stone Cold. We're going to wrap up our Craig R. Baxley retrospective with the third movie in the Baxley 3, Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth. And joining us for that one, one of your favorites, Chad, the real yes. South Gaines will be will be here. And there's plenty of uh, naked ladies in there. So, again, that was the perfect choice for RTG to be a part of. It's going to be good. Uh, a wonderful film with a super guy who loves naked chicks just as much as I do. Probably more. Probably. If, it, if it's possible. I think it is. And I think he has some sort of uh paperwork and whatnot and probably files about these women and things that would potentially <laughs> not look good still a thing? what's that is mr skin still a thing if it know. is he may be mr skin he's That's probably got i think he's got like a card catalog the <laughs> <laughs> drawers that pull a out Dewey, a Dewey decimal system he like looks his finger when he's like looking at him and he's like oh because he, he can taste or a booby. The residue on the cards. 
residue. Nice. All right. <laughs> I think we have gone off the rails completely at this point. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, and I want to, on behalf of Ryan Campbell, on behalf of Chad Cruz, I am just saying thank you once again. And stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network.